0: When you see situations like a family member or friend drops by and suddenly the person in your care changes, try to understand that what they're experiencing are some of the last efforts to retain their dignity. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I lead a caregiver support group in my community. And I've worked in the caregiving world for the last 18 years.
1: And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate.
0: And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia.
1: Here we focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe even share a laugh or two along the way. And we all know that laughing is, in fact, the best medicine.
0: And don't forget the wine, Mike.
1: Oh, no, I'll never forget the wine. So, Abi, today we're not having a guest on board. Um, We've had a number of guests, but we figured uh, we can talk about ourselves for for a second and then talk about some questions that you hear as a caregiver consultant and um, share those with the listeners because I'm sure they have had the same type of questions. So why don't you tell the listeners uh, about a caregiver consultant and then a caregiver educator?
0: Well, I... I'm happy to do that. As a certified caregiving consultant, what that means is I schedule 30-minute to an hour phone conversations with caregivers who are isolated in their homes, and um, it's a convenient way for them to get support, and I talk to them about how to find their own solutions with my help to Deal with situations on the very difficult days that every caregiver faces.
1: Now, one of the things that you always point out is that you're not a therapist, you're not a psychiatrist or anything of that sort, correct?
0: Correct. I'm not a licensed psychologist or a physician, but I am a trained consultant. And a lot of that training deals with um, knowing how to recognize and to deal with not only dementia, behaviors, but how to cope with all of the other things that caregivers do and help them find resources in their local community to make things as as easier as possible. It's never going to be easy, but we work together to take some of that pressure off. Make
1: it less difficult, so to speak. And as an educator?
0: As a certified caregiving educator, I go out into the community and, and do presentations, educating people on the different stages of caregiving, which is very different than the stages of the disease that give uh, people information on how to prepare to be a caregiver, um, how to deal with caregiver behaviors, how to communicate with somebody with dementia. And um, these scheduled presentations can be in the local community, they can be on the national level or the international level. And I also lead a caregiver support group in my local community. At present, I have people in that group that are dealing with four different types of dementia. Um, One of those people who was a guest on one of our shows came in when his wife was in the very, very early stages of dementia. And he's been with my group for five years now. And I've been with him, supporting him and the other people in our group as her dementia progresses. So we create relationships also. Now, you are a certified caregiving Advocate.
1: Correct. So, what a certified caregiver advocate does is we publicly support or recommend uh, particular courses of action or particular policies, uh, looking for policy change or action change. Um, We speak on behalf of those who can't uh, speak for themselves, uh, be their representative, so to speak. One of the things I'm working on now, as you know, is looking at how to get information into the 911 system so that when the local paramedics, and I'm working on the local level, so that the paramedics or EMTs, when they get the 911 call and get dispatched, they're also given the information that the person they're responding to or, that, or in the house there's a dementia person, whether it be Alzheimer's or, or whatever uh, form of dementia it is, so that they have that idea in their head when they go into the house, so they don't have to take precious moments of treating somebody by having that discussion of the uh, dementia. So that's one of the things I'm working on as an advocate.
0: And and I think that is so important because I, I do advise caregivers to, once they bring somebody into their home that might have dementia, is to call their local first responders and let them know that there's somebody in the home with dementia. And then, if they have to call an ambulance or if they have to um, call the police because somebody's getting aggressive, remind them of that. But if there's a system in place that you're helping create where they have that to come up automatically. Yes. Uh, because very often the caregiver in the moment isn't going to remember to say that.
1: Right. And uh, another thing we're looking at is what is the training that the first responders are undergoing? And could that training be better? And that's where you as an educator could help in that aspect.
0: And we know that without training, things can go very bad. Abs-
1: and it could go bad in, in ways that they could not imagine and very quickly.
0: And in, in, in addition to these formal programs that we have, when we're out in the community just having a good time or sitting down having a drink with some friends, inevitably, Somebody starts talking about the fact that someone in their home has some type of dementia, and we go right in, we go right into sharing our knowledge with them. So, this is this is an avocation that we have that's basically twenty four seven. We're in the community. We're supporting caregivers in the best way that we can.
1: Absolutely right. As a consultant, you come across lots and lots of questions, and a lot of the questions are very similar, if not the same. And so why don't we talk about a couple of the questions that you hear?
0: I I am absolutely happy to do that. Um, Not only out in the community do I have people asking these questions, but I'm on a number of social media sites in support of various caregivers. And I see questions coming up all of the time. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that someone's dealing with dementia for the very first time. They don't understand dementia behaviors. They don't understand the way people think, and they certainly don't understand how to respond to it. And that just escalates the tension for both. Right. So the best thing that I can advise our listeners to do based on this particular podcast is to send us some questions because we've been through it. We've I've been answering questions for a long time. And if I don't have an answer for you, I'll do everything I can to find one.
1: Well, let's let's go into the first question and a lot of people ask about the person they're caring for and if they're faking to try to get attention.
0: And it can certainly seem like that especially in the early to moderate stages. And this is when behavior can be off the wall one moment and seemingly normal the next. I remember we had that with your dad, and I would be, get so frustrated Me with too. him. Me too. Because it seemed like, depending on his mood, he would be ignoring us or just, and <laughs> yes. even sometimes acting out on purpose just to get a rise out of us. Right. And sometimes when you see this, uh, situations like a family member or a friend drops by and suddenly the person in your care changes, someone who can rarely speak engages in charming uh conversation right and instead of just kind of sitting there with a flat expression all of a sudden sits up and you see that twinkler in their eye that was gone
1: right i remember somebody would come by my dad would be my dad and he was hi how you doing nice to meet you how's everything how's it going and he would be you know 15 20 years ago he would be that guy Mm -hmm. And then as soon as the person would leave, my dad would revert right back. That was extremely frustrating.
0: Uh, The one that got me is when he would be really seriously sick because he had denied symptoms for so long and he was a lot sicker than he he would have been had we caught whatever it was early. And as we approached the doctor's office, he would stand up straight and march in there and tell the doctor, I'm fine. She worries too much. Don't pay any attention to her.
1: And what did the medical staff do? They listened to him first, not you as the caregiver.
0: And he was the patient. So I can understand why caregivers watch amazed and they're convinced that they're being taken advantage of. But what they're actually seeing is this person using every possible resource that they have in order to appear normal. They're aware that something's wrong, but they don't want, other people to see it. They're embarrassed by it, they're uncomfortable with it. So they do everything they can to hold on as long as possible. The problem is it's exhausting and it takes everything out of them. Sometimes lasts for a couple of days and then you see not only how they normally are but sometimes things worsen at least for a few days because they they don't have any resources left. So we have to ask people to try to understand that what they're experiencing with him are some of the last efforts to retain their dignity and to be seen the way he once was. So be prepared for that. We have these wonderful smartphones with little video cameras on them, and you might want to videotape what you see on a regular basis. And either take that into the doctor's office so the doctor can can see what you see when he's not there. Or even email it to family members who think maybe you're exaggerating things. And that can help you get more understanding in what you're doing.
1: And we experienced that on a, on a personal level with my dad, where the doctors just wouldn't believe you. And one day in frustration after many times, you said, what well, do I got to do, videotape them." And the doctor said, the neurologist, I think it was, right? Yes, it was. And he said, well, that would be a great idea. And so we did, in fact, do that. And finally, when he saw the videotape is when he started looking at you with a lot more respect and understanding where you were coming from.
0: I remember that day so clearly. I had taken your dad in to see the neurologist because I was convinced that he had Parkinson's disease. Right. And the doctor said, I don't see any sign of it. And I said, if you went down the hall for five minutes and come back, I promise you, you will see it. And he says, well, that may be, but I've got other patients, so you know, give me a call if you see it again. And that's where that whole videotape thing came right. out. And of course, he did indeed have Parkinson's disease, and uh, which is part of the Louis body that he had. So this is something I recommend. It, it just makes things easier. And sometimes we don't think about those little resources we have available to us.
1: Yes, we actually had a, a video camera, <laughs> the old-fashioned, big, honkin' video camera, uh, as opposed to the smartphones that there is today. So another question that, That comes up, why does my caree, my mom or my dad or my spouse, why do they refuse to change their clothes? It's been days and days and they won't change their clothes.
0: I, I see this over and over and over again with caregivers who actually struggling with someone with dementia who insist on not taking their clothes off. There are reasons why. I mean, she might think she just put them on you know, she's had them on for four days, but four days to you could be only moments to her. The days run together. Sometimes her mind has taken her back in time. Try telling her the day of the week and, su- and suggest it's time for her to change her clothes. You know, go into the room with a smile on your face. Say, Good morning, mom. It's Monday. It's clean clothes day. And if she resists, don't insist. Because sometimes if you just put the idea in their mind and walk away and let them come to it on their own terms, you might find them changing their clothes on their own.
1: Now, would you also recommend that you lay out the clothes, say, on the bed, um, so that if they go in to change the clothes, the clothes are already there?
0: Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good suggestion. Um, I remember uh, taking a shower for your dad was something that he he would resist. Yes. But if you'd say to him, I think it's time you take a shower, and he'd say, nah, I don't need a shower. But then later on in the day, there he would go. Yep. Another reason um, she might resist is she doesn't understand why you're tr- trying to take her clothes away from her. She's warm and she's comfortable. She might have some body issues. I know anybody who reaches a certain age Things happen to your body. And (laughs) maybe she doesn't want you to see her with her clothes off. Right. So then you set out the clothes and walk away. She might get curious and try to figure out what those things are and start trying them on. The more we can make it their choice, the better it is for both of us. Because if I start insisting, she's going to start insisting not. And that's just going to amp up the stress. Right. And another reason could be that she doesn't remember how to take them off. Hmm. Buttons and snaps are hard. She maybe can't figure out how to get her arm through the sleeve or the leg in a pair of pants.
1: I I know. Sometimes you're reaching back to get your arm in a sleeve of something and you can't find it, right? And that's got to be even more difficult for somebody.
0: Absolutely. But there is dementia-friendly clothing available for women and men.
1: I did not know that. Yes,
0: yeah, so you can go online and you can just use your search engine, say dementia-friendly clothing, uh, clothing with snaps or Velcro, um, those type of things, or just something loose, something that you know they don't have to bother with a lot of frills and fancy stuff.
1: I remember at the end, my dad, it was uh, sweatpants, sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And he was warm, he was comfortable, they were loose-fitting, and it just worked.
0: It works for me, too, especially on a yes. Cold,
1: cold, yes, <laughs>
0: cold, snowy day. Absolutely, with, with some of that wine you mentioned earlier. Another reason could be that she does not know. She can't tell that the clothes are dirty. Dementia affects vision, and her clothes look fine to her.
1: So when you say her clothes look fine, why would they look fine to her when they don't look fine to you?
0: People with dementia have limited peripheral vision. So it's almost like looking through a pair of binoculars. If you put your fingers up like you, a pair of binoculars and then you look down, you're not gonna see your shirt. Hmm. She can't see that You know, there's crumbs or stains or something on her shirt. It looks, she can't see it. Now you might want to go up to her and point to something and say, oh look, some, you've, th- something's on your shirt, and that might help her understand um, and suggest that she put the clothes in the laundry.
1: As opposed to just saying, here, g- get changed. Yes. If An explanation, so to speak. Putting
0: clothes in the laundry is something that people do on a regular basis. Right. So you're not saying take your clothes off. You're saying let's put this in the laundry.
1: So that could go along with uh, good morning, it's laundry day, we need to... We need to get the clothes in the laundry as as a secondary uh, resource because these don't always work. It may work today, right?
0: Yes. Um, and then there's this, they don't understand what a shirt or a pair of pants or a skirt are. They're just different shapes and sizes that move on the hanger. You know, if she if you try to get them to go into the closet and they reach for a shirt and it moves and they don't know what that is, they're not going to want to go in there and do that.
1: It would be scary. It would absolutely be scary.
0: And light colors, they may not even see the color. So if you do lay out the clothes, you know, try to use bright colors. And some people like to wear the same thing all the time. So if sweatpants and a sweatshirt are what's comfortable, have sweatpants and a sweatshirt in the same colors. Yes. Several different pairs. And so they're, they're comfortable and they feel secure in what it is they're wearing.
1: And again, these might work today. Tomorrow might be a different story. You have to use your imagination.
0: And if listeners out there have some suggestions along with this, we'd certainly love to hear them from you as well.
1: Absolutely. Another question is, how do I get the keys away from dad or mom?
0: Oh, boy, that's, that's a huge, huge issue, not only for dad, but for mom. Driving is such an important part of our lives. I mean, we look forward to that. You know, can't wait until you're old enough to get that first driving permit. And it means that, you know, you get a certain amount of freedom. Uh, Losing your driving privileges is is devastating uh, and very, very difficult to do. And we all know that eventually that day is going to come. But the word eventually, Mm -hmm. at that time, it's, uh, you know... That's somewhere way down the road. That's like when you say your marriage vows, until death do us part. We certainly aren't thinking about the death part. We're not thinking about the day that's going to come when we're going to lose our driving privileges. Right. And unfortunately for some, it comes way sooner than we think. And under circumstances, we didn't consider. When someone's had dementia or a, a stroke or a brain injury, that day can arrive a lot sooner than cognitive impairment can process. They don't know how much danger they can be to themselves and to other people. And this leads to denial, anger, and a lot of lashing out at the person standing in their way.
1: It certainly becomes a very contentious...
0: It can become physically dangerous. Yes,
1: yes it can. So when that day comes, what recommendations do you have?
0: Well, the first thing you want to do is start talking about it as early as possible and try to include them in the decision process. And it may not be best coming from you. Have someone that that person trusts to sit down with them and go over the dangers of continuing to drive. If we can get them to decide on their own, it's better for them to let his license go than to have it revoked by having an accident. Um, It's easier on everybody. And unfortunately, With someone with dementia, if there's an accident with the car, even if it's not their fault, um, he could be sued, resulting in not only losing his license, but financial losses as well. And if you knew this person had dementia and allowed them to do that, it's very possible in some areas for you to be held responsible as well. And I had someone come into our local community from the sheriff's office to talk about that. And he said... Even if it was on private property, if there's an accident and you knew they were driving, you're at fault.
1: Now, you touched on something where you talked about it being expensive. A lot of folks understand expensive, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Now, we didn't have a driving issue with my father because he, the insurance was way too high because he was taking medication. One of the things that you could suggest or plant the seed of is continuing the drive as you get older, the insurance goes up and up and up and up. And that may help them make the decision that maybe I shouldn't drive anymore and then you don't have to pay insurance for me.
0: Absolutely. Whatever resource you have that is meaningful to that person is what you want to use in any of these situations that we're talking about. Now, you also want to remember your dad, even though he didn't asked to drive. He was convinced he was still an excellent driver. He had that copy of that driver's license from way back when. From the 1960s. So he thought any time it was necessary, he would be able to. If
1: there was an emergency, he had it, even though it had been expired for 40 40 years.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) But I do have a few suggestions on what to do when this issue comes up. And the biggest thing is to let that person know that you're on their side. You're not taking this from them. Right. And words like, I know this is important to you, and you are always a very good driver. Let's see what we can do about this. And then call his doctor. Some people will listen to doctors more than they will their family members.
1: Right. And going back to something that you said earlier, is if you have somebody else make the suggestion then you could be on their side.
0: And unfortunately, sometimes the doctors aren't aware. I've, I've heard of situations where doctors will say, well, only let him drive in during his neighborhood guy. or during the day, not knowing that it doesn't have to be a catastrophic accident. It could be fender bender after fender bender. Um,
1: it could be bumping the car in the parking lot.
0: Right. And he could get lost somewhere and have no idea where he is. There's, so, there's a lot of dangers that are attributed to that. It's a good idea, if you're faced with this issue, to give the doctor a call ahead of time and saying, that's why you're bringing this person in, and to have a talk with them. And in fact, you can even have the doctor send a letter to your local DMV, who will send a letter to the person calling them in to take a driving test. And then again, that takes that off of your shoulders. Right,
1: you're not the bad guy now.
0: Um, In fact, that was one of the suggestions, call the DMV and make an appointment So you can get a new driver's license, and very often it never gets past the written test right? because they can't read well enough. They don't know the answers to the questions anymore, um, and then they take the license away. And then you're supportive when they get upset. I know this is hard. You're angry. I'd be angry too. Validating somebody's honest emotions is a really important way to connect, especially with somebody with dementia. We don't want to say you can't do this anymore dad.
1: Right. And also being on their side, look, I know this is really hard and I can't believe they did that, but you know what? If you need to get somewhere, I will do I will get you wherever you need to go. Even if it's you you just want to go for a ride and get fresh air. I will do that for you.
0: And I have to mention that that people who insist on driving when they shouldn't anymore can get very creative. Um, some, you know, take the keys and put them where he can't get them. Some people have disconnected the car battery. They've called and ordered a rental car. (laughs) 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 Um, So you have to be vigilant about this, but we can't say more often enough, you know, be on their side. A driver's license represents independence and freedom. We drive out of necessity and we drive for fun. No longer being able to get in a car and go can require a mourning period. And validate his feelings of loss. If his anger spirals out of control, go into another room and lock the door until he calms down. Um, don't engage in aggressive behavior, but it's, it is it is critical to get them off the road.
1: I think that's a, a lot of good information and uh, for the listeners. And I think there's probably a lot of, lot of the listeners sitting there going, wow, I never thought of some of those things. and, and hopefully've we've, we've passed that along to them.
0: You know, when I went and got my driver's license renewed the last time, <laughs> it's good for five years. And sitting here, rational, cognitive, you know, I have my wits about me, I'm thinking that maybe by the when that expires it's time for me to not renew my driver's license. But who knows what my attitude is going to be <laughs> at the end of that five years? So, you know, remember what we're talking about today and maybe remind us both of some of these things.
1: Well, we we now have a record of it on the (laughs) podcast so I can play you back to you.
0: (laughs) This has been Roger That. And I'm Bobby,
1: And I'm Mike.
0: And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia.
1: So please, subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help or if you have a question you'd like for us to address, or if you just want to say hi, please do. To find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to RogerThat.Show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, That.Show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website, or go to hearingcharities.org.
0: Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.